the Fire Within Podcast. You need a sustainable plan, the right mindset, and the knowledge and inspiration to stoke the fire within. Just like the Phoenix, you can burn your old habits, never turn back, and emerge completely anew. There are no shortcuts. Welcome, Fire Within community. This is the Fire Within Podcast, where we talk about all things health, fitness, and nutrition related. I'm your host, Brandon, with my co-host, Joe. Hello. How you doing, Joe? Drinking coffee. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's a morning show. Still got my morning voice, so it feels like I sound good. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> we have a super fun guest with us. Her name is Lindsay Bond, and she has a studio out in Carborough. She's a yoga aficionado, expert teacher, all the things. I'm going to let you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, your story, and then we'll talk about all kinds of fun stuff. So welcome, Lindsay. Okay. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. So my name is Lindsay. I have been practicing yoga for 17 years daily. So there's a delineation between practicing as a hobbyist versus practicing every day and being involved in the lifestyle of it. And I'm definitely a lifestyle yogi. And I guess before I practiced, quote unquote, daily, that's the air quotes. You can't see that, (laughs) the air quotes. Before that, I was practicing since I was 12 years old, basically. I've been doing it for much longer than I ever considered myself to do it. And it's the only thing I've never quit. Hooray. All right. Yeah, it's a daily discipline. It's just like anything else. Um, so I, yeah, I found yoga at the age of 12 through a VHS tape. Do you remember those? Yeah. Put it into the VCR. I don't even have a way to play this darn thing anymore. (laughs) I need to get it digitized, but I fell in love with the reclined guided meditation at the end. Like all of the weird poses and the lunges and the putting your arms in weird places was totally weird for me. And I was like, eh, I don't know if this is great, but I really like the guided meditation at the end because it gave me a peace and serenity and all sorts of goodness. As a kid, imagine just being a middle school kid and having all those problems and being like, oh, clarity, this is so lovely. Yeah. So that's how it started. And I never stopped. I never looked back. And as I gained momentum through my life, I just kept doing it and doing it. I had a normal rat race job for seven, eight years. I was, I still hold sales records at companies that I used to work at, but uh, it just didn't align with my lifestyle anymore. And I really wanted to go all in wholeheartedly. So I I did a teacher training with my teacher at the time. I dove in headfirst. I was drowning for a little while. I opened my first yoga studio when I was six months pregnant. Wow. (laughs) I don't know if that was a smart idea, but I did it. And so just everything has been following me momentously ever since. That studio has closed. That was in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And now I'm in Carborough. And I've helped, done teacher trainings. I've done teacher kind of initiations. I've done teacher workshops. I've done international retreats. I've done local and regional retreats. And I've spent just a lot of time with my dedicated students. I teach all over the place and I have taught all over the place, but mostly I just really like to work with the students day in and day out. And that's a discipline and a practice in and of itself that continues to add to all of the momentum of my personal practice, which is separate from my teaching practice, which is separate from, so everything is just this big yoga world for me every day. Yeah. Now, it's interesting you're talking about finding it in middle school and having that clarity. I know some schools are adopting yoga practices at that age because they're still in that mindset of the whole world revolves around everybody staring at them and it creates a lot of strife and all the hormonal changes. And some of my clients are currently struggling with depression with their middle school aged kids. And what a cool thing to have access to. Now, what made you leave your job and start the practice? I was so deep into the practice at that point that it really didn't align. It didn't feel like my rat race sales job, making lots of money and just chasing desire and power was aligned with the path of yoga, which has this whole eight limbed scenario that we were talking about recently. 
and that we're going to talk about today. Hooray. And so there, there is a moral and ethic value behind anything that you do as it relates to spirituality. And I just didn't feel like living in the business world where it was a good enough way to do it. And I had the resources at the time to be like, actually, I think I want to be a yoga teacher instead. And, and it wasn't like I really wanted to be a yoga teacher. It was more that I wanted to go down the yoga path and just live the lifestyle fully all in and, and not do anything else. It's interesting, though, as I've come back around 15 years later, I'm now getting back into some of my business consulting and my business work. And I have consult uh, clients that I consult for who are in the spiritual world, that are in the yoga world, that are trying to align business and spirituality so that it works well. And I think there are definitely ways that it does. Like I've integrated it all at this point, which is really kind of well-rounded, grounded sort of place where I can be high in the clouds and I can be down on the floor too. And it's good. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, going back to the this eight-limbed approach, I was talking before we started the show, I've only thought of yoga as the bendy, stretchy stuff. I didn't know much about the outside parts of it, what happens outside of the studio, eating choices, mind, say, mind space, mindset, all those types of things. What the heck is this eight-arm thing? <laughs> Eight limbs. Eight limbs. Yes. Yeah. Very good. So it does include all of those things. I could go over them individually or I could touch upon things as far as, how do you want me to? Let's start with what are the eight and then let's talk just a little bit about each of the eight parts. Okay. I think that'd be cool. Okay. So the eight limbs, and this comes from the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, which is- um, Different than the Karma Sutra, right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I didn't Uh, know there were other sutras. I didn't either. (laughs) There's lots of sutras. What does sutra mean? Thread. Thread. Oh, that makes sense. There's a lot of threads then. Yeah. Okay. All right. Lots and lots of threads. We are learning things today. This (laughs) is awesome. Yay. Yes. So we thread things together. And so you have, or you could call them aphorisms. The Yoga Sutras of Patanjali or the aphorisms are short. They're distinct. They're easy. They're not dogmatic. And any religion fits into it. So it's not so much a religion as it is a foundation for spiritual awareness. And you can plug anything into it that you like or that works for you or that resonates. But like the Ten Commandments and these sorts of things, across the board, you go to any religion, and you're going to see these things. So this is how the yoga eight limbs start. And by the way, also I'm referencing this text that I'm speaking from. It's the second book of the Yoga Sutra that the eight limbs actually is signed in. So the first limb is yamas. And that is, it's restraints, generally speaking. So it starts with ahimsa. First, do no harm. Jesus, he said, first, do no harm. Same idea. So while we're on our spiritual path, we're not killing anyone. We're we're not minding our our violent tendencies and word, thought, and deed. Now, is this different or the same as like Buddhist mentality? You know, we always think about like the Tibetan monk, like not harming a grasshopper and sitting in silence all day. Are these similar cultures? Are they the same? Are they different? They're very similar. And um, Buddhism and classical yoga came together within this, within a 500-year period of time. So we're looking at a very similar time period. We're looking at very similar uh, geographic location from it, India and Tibet and those areas over there. Like we're all, yeah, absolutely. And there's so much interrelatability of these two paths that a lot of people get them confused. Yeah. But yeah, you think of a monastic monk and a Buddhist tradition, you could think of a yogic monk in a yogic tradition and they're very similar but but there are very important delineations that are different too yeah so do no harm would be the first harm limb 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 (laughs) does that mean Um, that you have to be a vegan it doesn't so it's non-dogmatic which means you interpret it and you apply it to your life as it resonates mostly 
with you and how deeply you want to do it. So it could mean veganism or it could mean praying over an animal before you eat it. Okay. Yeah. And in the most, and it goes from a very conservative mindset to a very liberal mindset, just like any quote unquote, there's yeah. the air quotes again, the rules. Yeah. There's a wide range. Yeah. It, just to poke fun at stereotypes. Does that mean you have to shop at Whole Foods? Don't entertain <laughs> that. I'm just being a jerk. But, but no, I think that's an awesome principle. And I think but there's a pastor, I don't remember if it was J.D. Greer in the Christian world, but they analyzed the top 72 religions and every single one of them boiled down to do unto others as you do yourself. Yeah. So I think there's, even if you are a Christian, there's no reason why you could find alignment within that. So I think that's pretty cool. Absolutely. And I would suggest that I'm among a small group of experts in that category. And I tend to like to have those conversations. So if anybody has any issue or they want to talk about that, like I'm totally game for that talk. It's such a cool talk to have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we talked about the food aspects of that and the not killing people. That's helpful. Yeah. What <laughs> if you have to serve in the military because it is a requirement? I'm just I don't know if I'm correct here, but I think in Israel, you if you're a certain age, you have to serve. Yeah. Do Can they have religious exemptions in some, in terms of the types of duties they do, or how does that impact the practice? Okay, so again, yoga, classical yoga, it's non-dogmatic. So there's no bad or good or right or wrong. It's all in how you um, look at it and how you apply it to your life. And I will use the Bhagavad Gita as an example, which is another classical yoga text. And Krishna is the charioteer and he's also considered as God. And then Arjuna is, uh, he's the leader, he's the warrior, he's the guy who's out ready to kill everybody. And he's, wait a minute, dude, like, I don't think this is a good idea. And Krishna's, no, it's a good idea because that's what you're supposed to do because that's what I'm telling you to do and I'm God and I'm telling you to do this. So it's more about surrendering to your kind of path in the way that it works for you and in, in doing it with right intention as opposed to not thinking about what you're doing and causing harm or not thinking about what you're doing and not causing harm. It's yeah. all about the awareness piece yeah. as opposed to what's right or wrong or good or bad. Yeah. Like stopping the Nazis was probably a good idea. Totally. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're looking at the so much about it is the intention behind what we do because we can kill an animal with right intention or we can kill an animal with terrible intention. Yeah. And that's a relationship between us and God or however you want to say it. I use the word God. So just for a broad example, killing an elephant for ivory would be a terrible intention. Mm, I uh, think so. Killing a deer and using the meat all year long and using the skin and all that kind of thing would probably be a better intention. Yeah. So there's the more aligned intention and then there's the kind of lack, the awareness lacking mindset intention. Yeah. So totally. Cool. Yeah. So that's ahimsa. There's, so there's five yamas and there's five niyamas. So those, and those are the first two limbs. And then we go to the other ones. Yeah, so the first about. one was do no harm. And what was the second one? Second one is satya. So second one is truthfulness. And uh -huh. truth is less about, it is about telling the truth and being honest, but it's more about living in truth, walking in truth, feeling a sense of truth, being truth. And that's a really profound thing to be able to do. So now it's like honesty, integrity, that kind of thing. Yeah. very. And, and I'm sure being true to yourself. Yes, too. absolutely. And true to your path true to your spirituality, true to your body, true to your friends, true to your family, true to everything. Yeah. Like it's a whole well-rounded look at everything that way. Yeah. That, does that mean I can cuss in front of my in-laws? Because I like to cuss and they don't like when I cuss. I really like to cuss. And I think if it's well-intended, you should be able to do it anytime you want to. Yeah, like sometimes it slips out and they get upset. You can only cuss about things like social injustice and <laughs> <laughs> you can't just cuss about other stuff. 
There it's you. just so fun, Joe. It's cathartic. All right. <laughs> okay. So then the third yama, uh, so it goes ahimsa, satya, asteya. These are Sanskrit words. Asteya is non-stealing. That's pretty straightforward. <laughs> then the fourth one is aparigraha. Aparigraha is non-hoarding, non-material possession, and even goes into the idea of gifting and paying attention to your intentions behind gifting. It's always a something that I end up talking about this time of year as we go into Christmas and get holiday gatherings and stuff because it's like, are you gifting because you want to get a gift back? Or are you gifting to give and let go? So that's a, an interesting way to look at it. And it's also looking at simple living and what do we need versus what do we want? Yeah. It's not to say that we can't be wealthy and have stuff. It's just a matter of the awareness behind that and saying, I probably have a little bit more than I need right now. And I'm aware of that. Or yeah. I have way more than I need and I need to scale back or whatever. Now, if you're staying true to that path, could you want a BMW 1250 RS motorcycle? <laughs> I think it's just about being aware of your desires as opposed to what it is that you want. Do you want this? It'd be cool. I My wife would cool never too. let me drive it. It <laughs> looks really cool. Could you feel the presence and the grace and the glory of being on your vroom vroom motorcycle oh, and feel the wind and feel the amazing nature of it all? Like, I think that can be well intended. It's yeah. just about how you approach it. Yeah. So as long as it's not just this profound greed and need for more and more stuff. Exactly. So the intention matters a lot. The intention is the biggest part of it, yeah. I think. But it's not so far that you need to give away all your possessions. and Like St. Francis of Assisi was known for that, it, just giving away everything, giving up everything. I don't think that this path is intended toward emaciation or complete lack. I think that we can find a more moderate place. And that's where the Buddha would come in and say, we're looking for the middle path and definitely doing that in classical yoga as okay. well. Well, that fits the theme of fire within with sustainability. Yeah. So I think that's pretty cool. And, totally. if, and if you're moderately taken care of, you're better shaped to take care of other people. You, exactly. You, you don't smell as bad. So it's helpful. <laughs> yes. It's good to not smell so bad. I agree. So yeah. Deodorant's okay on following this path. That's a shaucha practice. That's the yeah. first niyama. So we'll get that in a minute. All right. <laughs> All right. So next is brahmacharya. This is the fifth yama. Brahmacharya is a restraint of sexual energies. So in the most conservative look at that, it's celibacy. Monks, celibate like I'm that. Out. Me too. Come on. <laughs> yeah. But we're householders, right? So we're not talking about monks. We're not monastics. So as a householder yogi or as a householder spiritual person, you're approaching your life a lot differently. We have to make love to have children and we want to. We also... Uh, part of the kind of adaptation of this modern householder lifestyle to these very old things is to to find within brahmacharya like a relationship and to dive into relationship and to feel the profundity of relationship. And that's it's more to say casual sex is probably not healthy for us. And let's find a partner that we can really work with for a lifetime or maybe a couple partners for a lifetime or something like that, just to not, not to spread the seed like all over the place and to really have well-intended sexual energies in that way. Yeah. And no gonorrhoebacifilates. What? It's a made up combination of all the venereal diseases. <laughs> I'm not aware of we, that. We made it up in middle school. So <laughs> gonorrhoebacifilates. Avoid that. Avoid that. And then you'll be practicing brahmacharya. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so like the rules put in place for that, keep a healthy lifestyle, same as other religions, the same reason they have their rules is it's not just to be overbearing, but it's some form of protection and to keep healthy relationships and all those types of things. Yes. And those are all those principles make up the first limb, right? That's just the first limb. Yep. So the second limb is the... Wait, wait, wait everything we talked about is one limb. That's just one limb. 
Wow. Okay. It gets shorter as we go along. Okay. Yeah. The first two have five components each and then the other ones are just like one major thing. It's complex, but it's very simple. Okay. So yamas are your moral restraints and niyamas, the second limb, those are your personal observances. Okay. So the first starts with shaucha. Shaucha is cleanliness. So yeah, smelling... It's, Non-offensive. It's, yeah, smell in a good way. We want to make an imprint on the world that's positive. But Shaucha is also part of it where the whole scene where you're talking about diet, you're talking about not just cleanliness on the outside, but what you're putting into yourself on the inside. And that's consumption of food. It's consumption of people. It's consumption of media. It's consumption of anything that we put in our faces, in our perceptive qualities. Now, so consumption of people, not cannibalism, but who you <laughs> spend time with because they're going to influence your energies, your habits, and all those types of things. Exactly. I like that there was someone listening along. Oh, thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> we have a fairly intelligent audience, but you just never know. Oh, so don't eat. Okay, don't got eat it. people. Please don't eat people. <laughs> Go back to Ahimsa if you think that we're going to eat people. <laughs> yeah. But in the consumption of energies around us is important because we can have a, a friend that we're constantly like saving, and we can be depleted by that friend, and then we can be have a friend or a, a partner who's like really amazing and illuminated and feels happy for us and supports us. And that is more what we're looking for. That's not to say that we shouldn't help people in need. Absolutely. But just maintaining the cleanliness aspect. And I think it helps keep from creating codependencies. Uh Uh-huh. So So that's a big deal. Right. And that's where like all of these modern terms fit into this so well. And I love it. Yes, of course. Yes. That means non-codependency. Right. (laughs) All right. So then Shaucha. Santosha is the next one. Santosha is the quality of contentment. It's the practice of cultivating happiness. Happiness is a choice. It's not, it's something that we can create in any moment that we want. Oh, it's misty and cloudy outside and oh, I'm going to be in a bad mood. No, dude, be in a happy mood because it's misty and cloudy and beautiful and mystical and auspicious. We, we can create these choices and this, we know mental health and all of the psychology and all of the science that has come about, like making a choice to decide to be happy in the moment is like one of the most profound things that we can do. And it's right there in the yoga sutras. Yeah, and there's a couple westernized and modern examples of that principle. Actually, we just talked about the Holocaust earlier and that stopping the Nazis was a good idea. Many people may have heard of Viktor Frankl. He has that very famous book, Man's Search for Meaning, and was a therapist or cognitive of some sort. And even in the most horrific, he survived the concentration camps, I believe, either Buchenwald or Auschwitz. And, I think it was Auschwitz. Uh, yeah. And he, but he said they could do anything, but they cannot change my attitude. And because of that, he was able to keep his mindset, survive this thing, and then went on after the Holocaust to help thousands of people. Amazing. Now, and he's even referenced in David Emerald's book, The Power of Ted, the, the empowerment dynamic. And they talk about the dreaded drama triangle, that's codependencies, versus a creator mindset to where you focus on, instead of focusing on an anxiety, fear, and things like that, you focus on what you want, a positive thing. Exactly. So it all connects through throughout different platforms. Yes. Um, and uh, we had Ronan on and we, the episode turned into spirituality and Westernization, actually two of the same thing. We just approach them differently and think about them different. And I think this is another case of that. Yeah, I think a lot of it is just about language. Yeah. If we can agree on just shared language, then we can see a lot of similarities and we can relinquish our separateness and that always creates contentment too. Yeah. And we're not saying that if you have serious depression that just choose to be happy and stop taking uh, your medication. That's not what we're saying. No. But I think one of the things um, people always 
confused about like contentment or happiness or love or forgiveness is that it's, it has to be either a feeling or a choice. It's both. Yeah, it is. And sometimes the feeling matches the choice and sometimes it doesn't, (laughs) but you do it anyways. And that's the commitment to it. That's the practice is showing up for it no matter what the feeling is. Yeah. I think fake it till you make it works with stuff like happiness and forgiveness. If you act as if you do, I think that's Shakespeare, right? (laughs) Assume a virtue if you have it not. For example, Uh, people think I know how to do a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Faking it till you make it is a big part of it for sure. I teach that every day. Just fake it till you make it. It's all about what you promote in your mind. Thoughts are things. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it sounds trite. I love the example of like being an author. Like you could have a dream to be an author. You could feel like an author and then you start writing. And then before you know it, like a year is in and now you've written a book and now you're an author. There was a very slow transition, but you just had to do the things. Yeah to get to the place that you wanted to see yourself. And I think that's just the way it is with some of these things that we think are only feelings. Yeah, They are feelings, of course, but they're not just only feelings. Yeah, They can be choices. Yep. These are all muscles that you strengthen. Yeah. Like you pick weights up and you put weights down and you strengthen your biceps, just like you strengthen all of these neural connections in your brain and all of these feelings and emotions and commitments and things that you show up for. It's all the same. You're just strengthening different types of muscles. There you go. Happiness workout. That's right. I like it. Yes. Woo-hoo. It's better than leg day. Yeah. <laughs> Do a hip workout with <laughs> happiness. Finally, a sustainable approach to meeting your health goals. The Fire Within app, available now on Apple and Android. What you get is an intro to strength training guide, comprehensive exercise library with over 200 exercises, a comprehensive nutrition health transformation course, a six-week meal plan, over 70 recipes, a six-week health redemption strength training course. This is for use with people with equipment. And then the same course, modified for body weight exercises. You'll also receive a six-week Inferno Abs Core supplemental program. If you download our free app right now, you'll get access to the podcast, exercise and app quick start, recipes, and more. For a $29.99 a month subscription, You'll get the health transformation course, full access to the exercise library, the weighted course, the body weight course, the Inferno abs, recipes, and the podcast. So what are you waiting for? Try it now for free today. Download the Fire Within app. All right, next. Tapas. Tapas is energy friction. It's literally something that you would... something that you do that you wouldn't otherwise do to promote your spiritual practice. So that could be like asana, like doing postures. It could be jumping up and down. It could be doing CrossFit. It could be doing all sorts of things, like whatever, however you want to engage it. But it's literally tapas is friction, energy creation. And is this a different spelling than the um, Spanish appetizer? No, it's the same. (laughs) It's the same. (laughs) Yeah, but it means it's, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure about the Spanish versus versus the Sanskrit. uh, So kind of leaning into the struggle and using it to make yourself stronger. Absolutely. Yeah. And making it a daily practice, that, that kind of aspect of it. So creating heat, creating energy, it's the opposite of lethargy. It's the opposite of inertia. So moving into it. Yeah. No matter what it is. And that's, that's as opposed to just taking that victim role. Exactly. Yeah. There's no room for victimization on this path. It's very wholeheartedly spiritually responsible and mature. Yeah. 
Okay, Tapas Fadyaya is next. It is the study of scriptures. It's the study of ourselves. It's the study of our big self and our small self and whoever we are. And it's, I think, this is my opinion. I wouldn't necessarily, most of the things that I'm saying here are are just straight up, just facts, but this is my opinion. And I feel like there's a lot of psycho-spiritual aspect to this particular Niyama, where we're learning about ourselves and we're comparing ourselves to scriptures and we're, we're learning about sages and saints who have gone before us telling stories, letting us know how we live in this world in a good way. And so I think that a lot of it is understanding, oh, this is an issue for me right now. Why is it so hard? And then going yeah. into some like really cool Buddhist psycho psycho babble is really helpful to understand. I use a lot of this stuff in my shala when I'm teaching too. There's a lot of psycho spiritual kind of integration with everything because like you say, oh, I'm depressed. Should I stop taking my medication and just be happy? It, <laughs> there's a process un- that underlies a lot of this stuff that the sutras don't necessarily touch upon, but that we can find within ourselves through this ad- idea of self-study, scripture study, and understanding ourselves better so that we can get further along on our path. Yeah, absolutely. It's a big part of health in general anyway, right? Yeah. Okay, then Svadhyaya and Ishvara Pranidana. Ishvara Paranidana is a surrender to a higher power. I don't mind using the word God, but you could say love, you could say universal energy, you could say, I don't know, whatever. Consciousness is a good one. Awareness is a good one. Any of these things that allow you to invest in something that is bigger than you. Like coffee. I'm kidding. <laughs> coffee is a divine thing, yeah, though, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. <laughs> no, that makes sense. It's So that is to say that it what it is not is an atheistic path. It could be an agnostic path, though. I've had a number over the years just a number beyond anything I can count of agnostic folks that really like dive into the spirituality and the scripture reference to it because it it denies any one thing but it offers and opens itself to anything as far as whatever you think that works for you in that way so it's very interfaith now what would you describe the difference between agnostic and atheism I think agnosticism is you're just not sure yeah and atheism is for sure that there's nothing. Okay. I could speak on that a little bit more, and I like to have those sort of discourses because it's super fun, but yeah. maybe for another there, podcast. There's a comedian, <laughs> and he says, what do you say to an atheist when he sneezes? He can't say, God bless you. So you say, nothing happens to you when you die. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You know what I usually say if I get into a conversation with an atheist? I say, do you believe in love? Well, of course. That's a higher power. Then you believe in something. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Coldplay says. That's what, that, that is yeah. what Coldplay says. <laughs> is and it really? Share, and share. Awesome. Do you believe in love They got a higher power deep. song, yeah. Believe in love after love. There we are. <laughs> yeah. I like it. <laughs> okay. So those are the yamas and the niyamas. Yeah, we got through them. The third limb is asana. This is the posture practice. This is the, the what did you call it? Stretchy, stretchy on your bendy. head? Stretchy yeah. bendies. Stretchy bendy on your head. <laughs> Could I speak to that a little bit? Please. Okay. <laughs> All right. So what asana actually is, we've totally mauled it over in the West. We've screwed it up to the point where it's almost indiscernible and that's okay it is what it is (laughs) whatever it's whenever if we just look at asana and we look at um the masses and how the masses are practicing yoga we could just say good job people are exercising hooray but it's so much deeper than that it's like so huge it asana is literally your seat 
it's your posture. It's the way your spine is held. So if you think about, you've got all this anatomical knowledge, right? Good. Okay. Yeah. So if you think about sitting in your seat and engaging the pelvic floor muscles, the foundation of the core, then holding that hammock of pelvic floor muscles up to in lift and enliven the spine and decompress particularly the lumbar spine so that you can not have back pain. And then from there, you pull in your abdomen, your transverse abdominus muscles, your abdominal wall that's behind the six pack muscles, the actual core strength. And indeed with your psoas muscles and your lower back muscles as well, or erector spinae muscles, you're, what you're literally doing is you're surrounding the muscles of the core around the spine and under the spine to support a better seat to support a better posture. That is not to say that asana is strictly and exclusively for sitting and meditation, but it's one of the things. Yeah. I don't personally feel as though you could really go super, super far in your spiritual path. This is really controversial what I'm about to say. I don't think you could go that far in your spiritual path without having a body that's fit to perceive the divine. Yeah. And so much of what we do is that. And so it's held in the core and it works outward from there. So it's a lot of strength, actually. And this energetic kind of understanding of the pelvic floor muscles combined with the abdominal wall create an energetic thing that allows us to root and ground down energetically so that we can find growth in the middle of the torso and then so that we can find expansion outward through the heart and up through the head to find enlivened lift to the quote unquote, here's the air quotes again, heaven. And so what we got to do is we got to tone all of those muscles. And so we're doing all of these different postures to turn the body, to twist the body. We're working with the shoulder rotations. We're working with big hip rotations and flexions to go along with this big, big deep core strength. Yeah. We're turning ourselves upside down to shift the physiology of the body so that the blood can flow the opposite direction. Yeah. Where forward bends, is very, they're very clarifying and cleansing for the abdomen and toning of the front of the body. Back bends, same for the back of the body. Enlivening the kidneys. If you're hinging in the middle of the back to do a back bend, you're like stimulating your kidney function. Yeah. So I could go on. I teach asana. I could talk about this for hours and hours, but there's a really profound power to it that really you can find a sense of agency over the body that allows you to really understand your process of homeostasis so that you have a lot of control over what's going on and a lot of deep sensitivity and awareness. And it's a fitness to perceive the divine. Yeah. I think we could do a whole episode on that. I want to, so we'll probably have to have you back. Yay. So then next we have pranayama, which is the breath control and the work. And I like to think of that as the bridge between the mind and the body to connect it all together for the higher limbs. And I know that we're running out of time. So final limbs are a little more esoteric. So it's more do these first practices and then you'll find kind of awareness of these other practices. So beyond the breath control is pratyahara, which is sense withdrawal. And it's turning the senses inward, literally using this like higher level of awareness in your body mind to be able to perceive the divine from within you and outside of you, like Holy Spirit, God, yeah. that kind of idea. Holy to Spirit, be, to activate. Per perceive. Activate. <laughs> yes. There you go. That's Pratyahara, just like that. And then the final three limbs make up one big thing. So it's Daharana, Dhyana, and Samadhi. They are concentration, meditation, and absorption. And we call that in yoga, we call it Samyama, which is a process that you find within your seated meditation and outside in your world. So literally what we have are your moral observances, your asana, prime your body, get your breath going, connect the mind and the body, be able to perceive yourself inside and then meditate. Yeah. 
And it's not linear, but it's a whole thing. There's lots of things to be able to do within it. I could talk for hours about all these things. Yeah. So I think we should come back and do like an Asana episode and then talk about the anatomical stuff going on, why it's helpful, why is it helping people with back pain and all these different things, and then dive into some of those other elements more. But so basically those first two limbs, it's your moral ethical code. It's attuned to the Ten Commandments, all these other types of things. So it gives you moral, spiritual grounding, and it can be inserted into any philosophy, religion that, that doesn't preach hate, things like that. So that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have any idea the depth of the yogi, and it's really cool to hear and understand all that. Yay. Fascinating. Also an example of like how much we just twisted it in the West. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about stretching. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Let's make YouTube videos it's, with kids it's stretching. About athleta, <laughs> it's about athleta, stretchy yoga pants, <laughs> and stretching. I'm glad to have uh, cleared up any discrepancies. Yeah. I'm um, here to educate. <laughs> so we're 1,000% going to do another show with you when when we have a little more time. Do, can you tell us, people want to find you, to talk with you, have you instruct them, learn from you. Tell us the name of your company, your contact info, what you offer, and all those things. Yoga Shala Carbro. And if you just Google it, Yoga Shala Carborough, North Carolina, all of my personal information will show up right on the homepage. It's my cell phone number. It's my personal email address. I'm super accessible. I have blog. I have podcast. You can look in my bio and see all of my information there, but all of it is right there on the website. Yoga Shala Carborough, North Carolina. Yay. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you did, Go check us out at firewithinnf.com and sign up for Refuel, a weekly email with recipes, videos, and tips to stoke the fire within. Also, you can join the Fire Within community by being added to our Facebook group. And don't forget to follow us on social media.